Our scripture today comes from Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, when the angel appears to the shepherds. If you could please rise in body or in spirit as we read the scripture this morning. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The word of God for the people of God. Let us say, thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Church, I have a confession this morning. This is not the sermon that I wanted to preach. It's not because I don't enjoy the scripture that we just read. In fact, I love it. I love it in a special way. My family, every year growing up, every other year we would go to different grandparents' houses for Christmas. And every other year we would be with my Mimi and Pops, my mom's parents, in Georgia and then when they moved to Mississippi. And every Christmas that we would spend with Pops... After we looked through our stockings, we got to do that very first thing. But then the kids couldn't open any more presents. That We couldn't open any presents at all until we sat around the large armchair of my grandfather. And Pops read to us from Luke chapter 2, the story of Christ's birth and the angels visiting the shepherds. Come to think of it, I had kind of a Norman Rockwell childhood. You have the fireplace going, keeping the room warm, a whole litter of cousins hanging around on the floor in our pajamas, a bunch of Christmas presents unopened, and a Christmas tree glittering and gleaming, and the smooth, soothing, baritone voice of my grandfather reading from Luke 2. So beautiful. These words, words that we'd heard so many times before, but washing over us again, and we never grew tired of them. Talk about a sweet, simple, serene moment. And that's kind of what it sounds like when we read the scripture we heard this morning. We've seen pictures of the shepherds tending their flock, these rolling green hills, a still starry night. 
The shepherds are always laying down very peacefully. Their sheep are laying. You count sheep to fall asleep. So they're sleeping sheep and it's just so lovely. And then, oh, a majestic angel appears and brings them good news. And they go and they visit the perfect little family with the perfect little baby. And then they go out and they evangelize and share the good news with everybody. Who doesn't want to preach about a story like that? Sounds like the kind of story we should want to hear right now. Do you ever hear a story so many times that you kind of stop listening because you know it so well? That's kind of how I felt about this passage as I first sat down to prepare the message for today. And that's the kind of sermon that I wanted to preach, a a simple, sweet, serene sermon that ended with me telling you to invite your friends to church as the new year begins and they all resolve to start attending church again. And we could even sing, go tell it on the mountain. It would just feel perfect, familiar, in a good way. Like my pops reading the Christmas story. But that's not the sermon that I have this morning. This is not the sermon that I want to preach. Because this is not the story that I remember. The gift of scripture is that scripture is a living text. Every time we read it again, it invites us in to experience for the first time all over again the words it contains. To taste something that we've never tasted before. And the honest truth is, the story of the shepherds is more challenging and more layered, and I would say more interesting than it would appear at face value. It is good news, just maybe not quite the good news that we expected. This morning, I want to share two ways in which I hear the shepherd's story challenging me and challenging us this Christmas season. It can be easy to forget that early Christians did not have access to a nice leather-bound Bible to carry around with them all the time, right? Those are so convenient for us today. But in the days of the early church, stories were shared verbally. And the Gospels were not written down until decades after Jesus' ascension. And this is important for us to remember today because when we do read the Bible, we can make the mistake of reading just one passage at a time and plucking it out and Wondering what's it about, and we have to remember to read it in light of the whole story, not just the page that we find ourselves on. And so when we read the story of the shepherds, we cannot help but remember what Luke has just said in the chapter before. In chapter 1 of the Gospel of Luke, Luke begins telling us a story of a priest named Zechariah who was visited in the temple as he was going about his temple duties. He was visited by an angel announcing the conception of John the Baptist. Now, Pastor Stan preached on this story a couple of weeks ago, but what we didn't talk about was that Zechariah responded in some ways like the shepherds. He was at first terrified, but then he did something different. He doubted and pushed back against the angel. What do you mean my wife is pregnant? We're too old to have kids. And because he doubted, the angel caused Zechariah to become mute. He was mute until John's birth, unable to share with the world around him the good news that he had been told. Compare that with the story of the shepherds, these simple men, low social status, far from revered priests of the temple, smelling of sheep and soil, and yet they believe. 
They follow the angels every single command. And they serve as the first evangelists of the Messiah. Now, as a preacher, I find this story challenging. My job is to stand in a temple and preach the good news. You could see how this could cause an issue for me. And in our church, in the Protestant church, we believe that really all of us are in ministry together. The priesthood of all believers. And Luke is telling you and me that the good news might not be coming from the temple. Christ's arrival silences the priest. And the good news is proclaimed by the lowly and the poor and the people of sheep and soil, not of the holier than thou. Luke reminds us that the overtly religious do not have a monopoly on divine revelation. In fact, the best thing we could do this Christmas season might just be shutting our mouths and listening for the hallelujahs that we hear in the fields. Every year, we get to celebrate everybody's Christmas here at Lover's Lane. It's what we have come to call the best night of the year at LOUMC. If you've been able to participate in everybody's Christmas in years past, say amen. amen. Is it one of your favorite events as well? If so, say amen. amen. We, we get to invite hundreds of Dallasites who are experiencing homelessness. We invite another 150 or so formerly incarcerated men and their families. And we invite other area ministries and we pack the house. If you've never attended, I, I hope you'll make plans to be here next year. And when I first came to Lover's Lane, it was December of 2010, as a part-time kids ministry assistant. I came in the month of December, and guess what the very first church-wide event I got to attend was? Everybody's Christmas. Talk about a warm welcome. That was an exciting time and place to be. I thought, wow, look at this church, and I'll confess something to you. As I walked in for that first Everybody's Christmas, I thought I knew what to expect. And I'll confess that in my head I was thinking to myself, how great is it for a big, nice, wealthy church like ours to be helping people like them? I stood convicted that night as I witnessed this event for the very first time. And I realized that we were not their saviors. In fact, it was a room full of people who were keenly aware of who their savior was. And what I really realized was that if anything, our guests were helping us. When I first came to Lover's Lane, I'd forgotten how to worship. I grew up in the church. We, we actually, it was great for us to read this affirmation of faith. This was an affirmation of faith we read frequently in my Methodist church in Bedford, Texas growing up. I grew up in the church. I loved the church, but I'd just gotten kind of bored with the church. Have you ever gotten kind of bored, if I'm being honest? I had forgotten how to find joy simply being in the presence of the Lord. And, and I was feeling pretty down on myself as well. I'd been going through a couple of rough, rough months by my standards. And then I walked into the room at everybody's Christmas. I say I'd forgotten how to worship, but the room helped me to remember. The people, our guests standing and singing at everybody's Christmas helped me remember what worship looks and feels like. I hadn't been in a room so in love with God in years. 
I hadn't been or seen people worshiping God with such passion in years, and I hadn't felt the joy of God's presence like that perhaps ever before. And here I thought we were bringing good news to them. I was shut up like Zechariah that night. Shut up in the best possible way. Made by God to listen and to watch, to see that the spirit of faith was more alive in the prison cell and in the homeless shelter than in my own religious heart. The shepherds challenge us to listen and to watch for the good news in the sheep and the soil. Because the gospel might not be in the temple, it could very well be in the field. The second challenge I see comes to us in the good news offered by the angel. The angel tells the shepherds that Jesus is, quote, a savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, as I said before, sometimes we hear words so many times they begin to lose their meaning and we just stop noticing them. And these titles for Jesus just seem so natural for us Christians today. It can be easy for us to forget that what the angel is saying to the shepherds, the titles the angel is giving to Jesus are terribly provocative. The Gospel of Luke does this funny thing throughout the story where it blends the worlds of faith and religion and of politics. And certainly, Luke begins to do that here. The titles of Savior and Lord would have been reserved for great kings. Kings like, I don't know, Caesar, the one ruling in this province. The title of Messiah had obvious religious implications for the Jewish people. Jesus was all of this, Savior, Messiah, and Lord, wrapped up into one. Now, we have a tendency today to want to separate the political and the religious, and for good reason. Separation of church and state is a bedrock principle of America and our American way of life. And yet sometimes I think that we interpret separation of church and state in an unhealthy way on a personal level. That the worlds of politics and faith should never interact in our own hearts. And don't worry, I can sense the room tensing up. I don't plan to ruin the week after Christmas with a sharp turn into a political sermon. But reading this story and preparing this message challenged me in a way that I needed this week. When the shepherds were tasked with proclaiming all that they had heard, announcing the arrival of a Savior and a Lord would certainly put them at odds with the political powers of the day. And for shepherds, lowly shepherds, to claim that they knew of the Messiah's birth before the Pharisees would have certainly put them at odds with the religious powers of the day. Here's a challenge I think that we can all receive, regardless our political persuasion. There are times when our faith ought to put us at odds with our political and religious structures. That's a very seminary way to put that. Let me put it a different way. If we follow Jesus, church, we're going to tick off our political party and churchy folk. Did you hear me? If we follow Jesus, we're going to tick off our political party And churchy folk. Now, I'm a churchy folk kind of person. If you're following Jesus, you might tick me off. Because Jesus does things that churchy folk shouldn't do. 
Jesus says things that a good Republican or a good Democrat doesn't say. Because the culture of politics and the culture of acting religious are not the culture of Christ. Those are cultures built upon powers of men, not powers of God. The gospel of Luke will not allow us to leave our faith and our politics separated. But, church, hear me clearly. This is not a political sermon. It is not enough to say that Jesus is simply a political person. Many pastors and theologians will say Jesus is political. But when I hear this being said, almost always it's because Jesus happens to agree with their politics. Jesus is a Democrat. Jesus is a Republican. Have you heard this before? I think even more than being political, better than being political, Jesus is engaged. He's engaged in the world around him. He's not separated from it. When we separate from the world around us, we say, oh, I don't want to get involved in this or that. Oh, I don't like talking about that. Oh, I don't want my faith to be in conversation with that. We pull away and we pull away and we pull away. You know where you end up? Amish. And I can say that because they're not watching right now. And if they are, they're busted. You're busted. Jesus is engaged. Jesus lives in the real world. He doesn't exist in a world without Caesars and Pharisees. In fact, Luke starts his gospel by telling us who is in charge. Jesus doesn't stand for a rival Caesar, however. He's not campaigning for a better elected official. He is the new Lord, the only one any of us need, and the only one worthy of our worship and adoration. Now, I'm not going to pretend to know how God is leading you to vote or who to support or when to march or what to speak up for. What I do know is that Christ is Savior and Messiah and Lord, and we cannot proclaim those titles without knowing what they mean, that Jesus informs everything in our lives and will not be separated from anything in our lives. A church that is unwilling to have difficult conversations about politics and other issues in light of our faith is a church that cannot proclaim Jesus as Lord. A church that has forgotten how to have holy conversations about challenging subjects is a church that has forgotten that Jesus is Savior. And a church that turns a blind eye to its own shortcomings is a church that is unable to see Christ as Messiah. If those statements bother you, good. They kind of bother me too. I'd much rather that church be a nice place full of nice people talking about nice things where we're all nice to each other and we all got along. Doesn't that sound nice? But Luke is asking us to start a revolution, not a revolution of banners and swords, but a revolution of love, a love that is so strong that it permeates everything and everyone and leaves all of it and all of us changed. I'm not saying we should bring political divisions into church. What I'm saying is we could invite the healing love of God into our political divisions. I'm not suggesting that we should shout political messages at our neighbor in the name of Jesus, because that always works well. I'm saying we could allow Jesus to speak a challenging truth into our own political persuasions. And I'm not suggesting that preachers should wag their fingers and direct you how to vote. I am saying that the body of Christ, preachers included, but the body of Christ has an obligation to engage in the world around us and to speak truth to power. You may have noticed that we are actually 
going to be singing, Go Tell It on the Mountain, to close our service today. And I think it would be a good idea if you invited a few of your friends to start coming to church with you to start the new year. This series, we've studied the parts of the Christmas story where the angel shows up and says, Do not fear! And here with the shepherds, the angel tells them, do not fear, and sends them to proclaim the good news from every mountaintop they can find. But after our time with the shepherds this morning, I want you to come with me on the mountaintop. Figuratively speaking, of course, we are still in Dallas. Stand on this mountaintop with me and consider what it is that we're being asked to proclaim. Because maybe it's not as simple and sweet as we wish. I hear the angel telling us. Go tell it on the mountain. God is not just in the temple. God is with the people. Go tell it on the mountain. The poor will lead the rich in the way of the Lord. Go tell it on the mountain. The loud will be made quiet. And the quiet will find their voice. Go tell it on the mountain, the people of soil and of sheep will teach you to sing. Go tell it on the mountain, the power of God knows no border or boundary. Go tell it on the mountain, the revolution is coming, a revolution of love. Go tell it on the mountain, church, Christ is born. Go tell it on the mountain, Jesus is a savior. Go tell it on the mountain, Jesus is the Messiah. Go tell it on the mountain, Jesus is the Lord. And then listen. It's the funny thing about mountains. They're great places to speak. They're even better places to listen. And what do you hear? Whose voice is rising up? What good news reaches your ears? Is it comforting? Is it challenging? It is Christmas time, church. A time for listening and a time for singing, a time for old traditions and a time for new understandings and a time that changes everything. And now the angel appears to us and says, do not be afraid. How will we respond? With fear? With confusion, with hallelujahs? How is Jesus' arrival changing everything for you this Christmas? What good news do you hear? And what good news do you have to share? It is Christmas, and Jesus is here, and everything about us will be challenged and changed. Do not fear. Amen.